What's up, Dolph Addicts? It's David. As you know, I lost the bet to Pat last week. So as a result of losing that bet, I will now have to record the intro in a you know my best Hispanic accent. But before I did that, I did want to just say thanks to Paul Tesori for being on this week's show and giving us the time that he gave us. Be sure and check out the Tesori Family Foundation's website and donate to such such a good cause. Uh, Paul is Webb Simpson's caddy and just a great guy, and we really appreciate him being on the show. So I did want to get that out there just before I embarrass myself with this Hispanic accent. But anyway, hope you guys enjoy the show, and here we go. Jello, what's going on, golf addicts? This is David with Thor Junkies. Thank you so much for downloading this week's episode of the Tour Junkies Golf Podcast, where we talk about golf and we talk about golfers. And uh, you know, just hope that you 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 get good players from us and good data and good research and good infos. And we wish that your screens will be very very greens. And you know that is all. So, bienvenidos to the Tour Junkies Podcast. Thanks for downloading. All right, Golf Addicts, it's David with Tour Junkies coming at you for another just incredible guest interview on the show this week. We are really happy to have just a great guy, a great caddy, uh, current caddy for Webb Simpson on tour, former PGA player himself. Although he's a Gator fan, we are going to let him on the show. We've got Paul Tesori on the line. How you doing, Paul? David, I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on. And I, I wasn't I uh, wasn't told about any kind of gator hatred out there, so we might have to discuss that at some point too. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of gator. Uh, you know, you're 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 gonna be you're talking to just me today, as Pat's not available. But me and Pat are both uh, uh, major bulldog fans, and and I don't know that there's a team I hate worse than the Gators, man. <laughs> Well, I, I am sorry about that. You guys have been one of the few teams that have remained uh, good to us over this cold period the last five years. I'm sure uh, with your new head coach, uh, with your new head coach, things might change uh, pretty quickly. So. Yeah, th- thanks for the backhanded compliment, Paul. <laughs> you got to be good at that every now and then. That's right. Hey, man. Uh, you know, we're, we're just pleased to have you on. Why don't you talk to us a little bit about? Uh, you know about your year and 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 Webb's year and what's going on for 2016 and uh, just kind of the plan moving ahead. Yeah, um, 2016. Uh, I started working for Weber in 2011, and this is the first time this is our sixth season together. This is the first time since that very first year that we are not in any of the World Golf Championship events. So this year has a little different feel to it, a little different vibe. Uh, We've got, you know, we're out there right now trying to work our way into those bigger events at Doral, into Austin, the match play, you know, into Akron. So um, we've got a lot of work to do this year. I think a lot of people know that 2016 signified the end of the belly putter era. Webb had been using his for ten and a half years since his freshman year at Wake Forest. And we switched a year early, and it was not, in hindsight, probably the best decisions. And... I wish I could blame anyone else, but it was my decision to switch early. I thought it was the right time. I thought that uh, we were struggling at the time with the belly putter, and I thought switching a year early would be a good thing. But we fell from 11th to 179th last year in putting, cost them uh, over a shot per round. So um, it was quite a learning experience last year, a frustrating one. But 
we changed a lot of things in the offseason. The mechanics are getting better. And we started the season off with three straight top 20s um, at Sony, at the Hope, and then at Phoenix last week. So, you know, we've got, uh, we've got a good outlook for the year. The putting's getting better and better. I'm actually uh, meeting him. He flew down to Ponte Vedra today to come work with me for a couple of days. So, I think we're both hungry for a good year and hopefully get back in those big tournaments. Wow. You know, I was ju- you just said the word that came to my mind. It's like after a year like that and after a decision like that that, you know, in, in hindsight didn't work out the way you wanted it to, you, it's got to leave you hungry, and, and that, that might be something that's really going to recharge you guys this year and, and um, you know, hopefully see you guys play a lot, play a lot better this year and, and get into those WGCs and, um, and just do your thing. Webb's definitely a talented guy, and obviously you're a great caddy. You're one of the, uh, you know, one of the, the longtime, uh, you know, caddies on tour. I know you started with VJ. Um, how did you get the job with Webb originally? Yeah, uh, well, so like you said, I started with VJ way back in 2000. And in 2010, I was working for Sean O'Hare, um, uh, still a very good friend of mine. At, uh, at the time, we were ranked in the top 25 in the world. Everything was going good. But uh, he thought that it was time to maybe try something different. Uh, it was the first time I'd ever been fired in my life. And I was obviously quite shocked and, to be honest with you, pretty devastated at the time. But um I guess good things were in store pretty soon to come around the corner. Um, I had a couple of offers from guys that were top five in the world, and I declined both because I wanted to try to find someone to go work for that I thought could be more than a three- or four-year gig. And each time I'd worked for VJ two different periods of three years, and Jerry Kelly and Sean O'Hare, and each time they were about three years when you know things just kind of fizzled out uh, it's uh, it's a lot like a marriage sometimes out there, and it, it, it can be it can be quite stressful to say the least. And things kind of fizzle out. So, lo and behold, Webb called me at the time. He was 213th in the world and had barely kept his card. But he was young. He was hungry. He was a guy that you could tell just over the phone that he really wanted, um, you know, my experience and a little bit of uh, you know kind of expertise on the golf swing and stuff. So he hired me and. Uh, Lo and behold, that year we finished second on the money list, second in the player year voting, second on the FedEx Cup, and had an amazing breakout year. So that kind of started it, and here we are still today. And even after that bad decision, me switching early, the kind of guy I worked for, you know, Weber doesn't think it was a mistake. He goes, Paul, we're still a year ahead of where we would have been. But then I got boys like Brant Snedeker, he loves to remind me, he goes, yeah, that's fine. You can be a year ahead, but you would have had about $6 million more million in your pocket. <laughs> Either way, uh, Webb was a guy that's he's a glass half full, and uh, I'm, I'm fortunate and blessed to work for him. That's for sure. Awesome. That's that's very cool, man. We uh, we're uh, looking forward to seeing more more years to come out of you guys. So, you know, one of the things that we want to talk about, and, and I think a lot of our listeners would be curious about, is just your preparation. Um, so, talking about your preparation before a tournament, you know. A lot of our show is fantasy golf related, and, and we talk a lot about stat categories and and you know making predictions on player performance based on that. Uh, you know, so we'll look at the course, look at you know trends and stats that we think are pertinent, and then try to find players that that fit that. You know, what do you guys look at as as a caddy? How is your process and preparation? And do you look at stats? Do you look at trends on those golf courses? What do you do to prepare for Webb's next event? Yeah, that's, that's a great question, David. A lot goes into week by week. Um, I don't necessarily go to stats to see. So 
certain things. I am a stat guy. I'm a number guy. I do enjoy looking to see where we stand. Uh, one stat I'm proud of every year is that Webb's consistently in the top 20 every year in strokes gained tee to green. Last year we finished sixth. We won that category in 2011. And I feel uh, – you know, pretty fortunate that I was able to bring some of that into the plate with Webb, who was never known as a ball striker, but has become one. Now, that being said, each week is so different. Um, it kind of is course by course with how I prepare. A, a week like Phoenix last week, uh, the course was redesigned two years ago, and we skipped last year, so I had a lot of extra work to do. So I got in a day early. I usually spend, I don't know, somewhere between six and ten hours on the golf course, depending on what the look is kind of doing all my notes before I'm ready for Weber. We we live in a modern-day world now where we have yardage books that are really detailed. We pay for them, obviously, but we have green books that we pay $100 a week for that are very detailed. We used to have to do that with either electronic levelers or the bubble levelers or roll balls or even I even did, used to do uh, water rolls to see where the water rolled off and I would mark them all. But wow. we're very fortunate. We're very fortunate now that we have... Um, the modern technology that allows us to spend a lot less time on the course. But that would be kind of a normal thing. The things I'm looking for on the course are like normal runouts to bunkers. Uh, we like to call them missed spots around the green. So if for some reason we get out of position to certain flags, where do you want to miss it? There's certain flags that might only be four from the left, but left's a better miss than right. Um, certain flags that fit in the front of the green, but you would think long is a better miss, where actually short might be better. So just trying to take constant notes. You obviously know your man, me and Weber, six years now, or we're in our sixth season, and I know him well enough now to know kind of what he's looking for. And, you know, another kind of answer to your question is I'm also dealing with a much different guy now than I used to. When he was my first two years with him, basically I called him extremely green as far as course knowledge, just what to do, when to do it, how to look at certain holes. He was kind of the guy that came out of college and thinks that the whole 380, you just hit a 500 or 300. If the holes 490 or 500, par 4, it's just a driver where there's so much more to the game. We had a hole at Phoenix last week that was 495, and um, we hit 500 off the tee every day but once. Just trying to take trouble out of play to try to widen up the golf course. And we played the whole one over for the week, which is actually gaining probably a quarter of a shot on the field. Yeah. Um, yeah, just kind of that kind of stuff is what I'm trying to do for Weber, just make sure that um, we're taking advantage of the talents that we have. Very cool. So what type of courses do you think set set up best for Webb? Um, you know, and we've, we've talked to a couple guys, like uh, one, one of my favorite answers to a question we've had so far this year, we had Brooks Kepka on the show, and, and I asked Brooks, uh, you know, are there, any, are there any golf courses that you just don't like playing? Um, and he basically said, yeah, the ones I'm not at. Like, if he's if he shows up at the golf course, that means he likes it. Do, do you guys do the same thing? Do you think most tour players do that? Or, you know, a, a guy of Webb's caliber, is he playing golf courses on his schedule that he doesn't really like or he doesn't feel like sets up well for him? Yeah, another great question. Just so insightful that a lot of people don't think about. But the answer is once you get established and once you can kind of pick your schedule – you do tend to go to golf courses that you love. One of the blessings to this year not being in the World Golf Championship events is that we're going to get to play one or two of the courses that we've had to miss in the past. With the guy, they're expecting their fourth child, so he's trying to take more and more time away from the golf course. So we played 28 to 30 events our first four years. Last year we played 25. And he's a guy that wants to eventually play somewhere around that 20 number. 
Well, to do so and you're in all the bigger events, then you're going to have to say no to some courses that you love. Weber always plays good on kind of medium-length golf courses to short and that are tight. So he plays good at Hilton Head almost every year. He plays good at Hartford almost every year. He plays good at Memphis almost every year, at Greenbrier, um, uh, Greensboro, Quail. Quail's his home golf course. He lives up in Seven Poles, so that helps there. But TPC is a golf course that he hasn't played well, but I really believe he's either going to win it or contend to win it several times in the next probably five to ten years. It's a perfect golf course for him, and it's basically my home golf course where when I did play on tour, I played there all the time, and when I worked for Beach, I spent a lot of time. So um, the answer is yes, there are horses for courses. Certain courses look great to people's eyes. You look at Tiger's record, there's four different courses that he won at least six times on, maybe even seven times, and he'd always say the same thing. The course just looks good to my eye, and so – I know for your listeners and for you guys trying to pick fantasy players, I think one of the most important things you can go off of is past track record at a golf course. You look at uh, you look at Justin Rose at New Orleans the last four years. You got to pick him. If he plays, you got to pick him that week. He just plays good every time that the tournament's there. Um, and you look at uh, obviously other guys that have tendencies to play great at, at certain courses. You got to go with them unless for some reason they're in poor form. That's that's great stuff, man. Yeah, that's we're we're learning that more and more as we, you know, as we talk through some of these uh, some of these questions with these guys, and that's good insight, man. So, you know, talk through the communication that you and Webb have on the golf course in a tournament setting. You know, every now and then we'll get to hear, you know, watching on TV, we'll get to hear a, a caddy and a, and a player exchange. Um, you know, as we, you know, as the TVs are are getting us closer to the action there. You know, what's your role and what and the relationship and what's it what would it sound like if we had you guys mic'd up for the entire round? Maybe not just during a shot, but what what's happening, you know, from the walk to the to the from the tee to the next shot and, and, and all that kind of stuff. And if you're waiting on a tee box, how's the how's the vibe during a tournament round? Yeah, um it all depends on who you're working for. For VJ there wasn't a whole lot of chit chat over shots. Um, maybe not even always in between shots. He was a much more serious guy. And when I started working for Beach, he was already established. So he didn't need a whole lot of extra help. He just kind of needed to be there, um, needed somebody to be there for him a couple of times around when either he wasn't thinking straight or he was uncomfortable. With Sean and Webb, the last two guys I've worked for, I've been a lot more hands-on, very much more kind of a coaching aspect. But Again, as each guy got older and as each guy got more experience, the work is a little less. So people used to always, you know, talk about Weber and I um, our first couple of years just because we basically talked about everything. And I always said, I think it's great, but eventually you'd like to be in a situation where he kind of already knows a lot of the information you're already giving him. And and that's kind of where we are now in our relationship. Over the ball, there's going to be your normal type of conversation the harder the conditions or the bigger the moment, it seems like he needs me a little bit more, um, which is fine. I think that, uh, you know, that's the biggest aspect. you got to be ready to change. you got to kind of know what's in front of you. If you know it's a windy day and a gusty day, you got to be ready to be a lot more active, kind of get your numbers faster, walk a little faster to the ball so you can be more active in the shot. Or if he's in contention, you know he's going to be nervous and uncomfortable. Again, try to get your numbers fast and more into the shot and into what he needs. Uh, just kind of depends day to day and uh, even week to week. The other question you asked about, you know, conversation. Now, first of all, Webb is known as the fastest walker on the PGA Tour. <laughs> if any of your fans are you, if anybody goes out to just watch Webb, 
he'll be 30 to 40 yards ahead of everybody else. Um, it doesn't matter if he's seven under, seven over, even par, leading, or in last. He's got the same pace and motor. So <laughs> the, first, uh, <laughs> the first six months I worked for him, I lost about 10 pounds trying to get to know him. But yeah. I tell everybody now, I try to tell everybody now, I know him well enough now that he can just go. So we don't do as much chit-chat uh, in between shots. But on tee boxes, Webb is definitely one of my best, uh, you know, best three friends. Uh, he's a guy that we hang out a lot off the golf course, uh, whether it's Bible study or whether it's just staying together and um, going to Starbucks and relaxing, or if it's just, uh, you know, just chilling out. Um, he's one of my best friends. He's a great guy, easy to talk to, and everybody loves playing with Webb. So I also get a different vibe from all the other players versus when I worked maybe for Beach who. You know, a lot of the guys maybe didn't like as much, but uh, DJ is actually a good guy. But he didn't have as many, you know, friends out there where everybody loves Weber. So we're always getting a lot more chit chat because of his personality more than anything else. Yeah, he he seems like a good guy when you watch him interact. So. You know, another thing that we've noticed on tour is that, and, and again, to reference Brooks Kepka made made mention of this in our interview, is that after you know he Brooks went back and studied last season and saw a trend that after about three weeks in a row on tour playing events, he saw a decline in his game. Um, do you guys, you know, do you and Webb look into that, and what have you seen? Um, or what's Webb's kind of magic number if he's got to play events in a row? Um, and, and then looking outside of Webb, do you see that as a as a trend with other tour players? When you were a tour player, what was that like for you if, if you've got somebody playing their fourth, fifth, sixth event in a row? Well, three is the magic number, and that's the same magic number it was for everyone but DJ. So for Jerry Kelly, Sean O, and Weber, three is about the number until everything just changes. It doesn't mean you can't win that fourth week or anything, but the attitude starts to change, the focus starts to change, the irritability starts to change. Um, after three weeks, it just seems like you just start getting into the grind. Um, it's a little harder to practice. It's, it becomes more work. Um, you know, the workouts in the morning and at night are more work-related. Just everything starts to become tougher. So three is our number that we like to never pass. Uh, since the FedEx has started FedEx Cup, we have very often had to play six and seven in a row. Um, it, you always went Akron, PGA, Greensboro, which is like a home event for Weber, so he had to play, and then four playoff events. So we had to play seven in a row one year, six in a row another year. And both those years, me and Webb, we generally don't have any conflict in our relationship. We definitely had a couple of moments where we went at each other a little bit. And, <laughs> yeah. You know, it, it really does happen. You just get trade, and mental mistakes start to happen that never would. You know, sloppy bogeys that don't make you angry the first week uh, make you flat-out angry the next week. Uh, you know, it seems, things seem to steamroll the wrong way after the three-week mark. Just You make a bogey, you seem to just follow that up with a bogey versus coming back with a birdie or coming back with a good attitude or just remembering it's a long tournament. You know, it's a marathon, not a... Not a sprint. So all of those things, I think, get a little bit harder. And, and you look at the best players of all time, they've all done the same thing. Uh, played between 16 and 20 tournaments, and that's where they've been the most successful. Now, I also worked for Veej, and we would play four or five in a row, and he showed no, he showed none of that. Um, if anything, he seemed to get stronger, but VJ was different. He's a guy that, you know, he, he practiced 365 out of 365 days. So he's a guy that 
this kind of mentality was, if I'm going to be home working hard, why not get on the road and get paid for it? So um, she was a little different in that way. But Weber's more on the books kept in. And, again, every other guy I've seen has been basically the same. Um, as far as when I played, I went uh, Bubba Watson loves to make fun of me when it comes to this. So every time we win a tournament, I'll get a text that says, good job, Webb. I'll text the folks that call me. You're still 0 for 17. So I did not make a cut during my very short career on tour. I went a little 0 for 17. I had some issues mentally and physically. I had a rotator cuff that needed repairing, and then mentally I never kind of got back from that. But I played whenever they told me. If they were going to tell me that we were going to play the next eight weeks in a row, going down I-10, um, all the way past Lake City out to California, I'd have been like, okay, let's go play. <laughs> um, so it's a little bit different for the rookies than it is guys like Brooks they established themselves. Yeah, thanks, Bubba, for the for the 0 for 17 jabbing. That's pretty brutal. <laughs> hey. It was a tough stretch, but let me know what I do now. I feel a lot better not worrying about those three footers the next day. <laughs> yeah. Hey, you know, you, you might can use this. We've we've been talking about that that idea a lot on our show here lately. And one of our one of our friends in the industry, um, a guy a guy that, that calls himself the uh, the Mooseonomics guy, he uh, so we call him Moose, he coined the term strokes bled grinding for one of those guys. So you know when you've got the player out there in his in his fifth or sixth week and he's just, you know, he's trunk slamming by midday Thursday, it's just a strokes bled grinding. I love that. That's unbelievable. I like that. <laughs> that that'll be said. If you get that to Mark Brody, he'll figure out a way to make that. That's for sure. Uh, a good buddy of mine, John Wood, who caddied for Hunter Mayhem for nine years and now he's working for Matt Kuzier. But he always used to say, strokes gain mentally. Um, and uh, with, with the attitude, it's amazing how you can just tell the guys that seem to be constantly successful, the guys that uh, just mentally want to get to them and stay positive. Yeah. So let's get to the fun stuff, man. We've talked about some some uh, some questions that you probably answer all the time, and you're probably tired of talking about. Um, you know, you mentioned your your game your game as a player, and uh, so I'm sure you're probably still a, a pretty pretty good golfer. You're living in Ponte Vedra too. You got to be a good golfer down there. Um, uh, yeah, I, I'm, I just got myself back to a plus one, so that's good. I've fallen the wrong way down to a three, but I've been working on the game a little harder. So I'm getting better, but uh, obviously still not as good as we want to be. I think that's the same for everybody that plays in a stupid game sometimes. That's true, man. All right, so who's, who is a caddy on tour? And it might be you, who, who you think is the closest to being able to drop the bag and actually get out there on tour and try to compete. Uh, great question. Well, Senior tour, I have two answers. Um, that would be Damon Green and Lance Pembroke. Uh, Damon finished top 15 in the U.S. Senior Open a couple of years ago, and him and Lance seem to make the cut every year in that. As far as playing on the big tour, um, you know, we had Brett Waltman about three years ago that went through Q School. He'd been out of game for three years, went through Q School, made it all the way through and played on the web. But, um, you know, there's quite a few guys that are good sticks now. A lot of the young kids that are coming up can flat-out play. But for the most part now, especially with the amount of money that's uh, in our job, the guys that do come out are guys that are obviously plus two, three, fours that all tried to play. But, you know, now probably don't quite have the game anymore to be able to play. But those would be my three names right away. Nice. All right, so, you know, I, I actually spent a little bit of time as a caddy, definitely not to your level and, and not on tour, but in college, you know, we're here in Augusta. I went to school in Augusta, and I caddied part-time at the National for the members. And 
I remember one of the things that just blew me away when I first got out there is that here I am caddying, you know, at the most exclusive golf course in the world for incredible people and the majority of the caddies that worked at the Augusta National were horrible golfers. I mean, horrible golfers. And, you know, a lot of them didn't even, didn't even want to play golf. In fact, a couple times uh, during caddy play day, they would actually bring fishing poles and fish in the, in the ponds on the, par three, uh, on the par three course rather than play golf on the one day of the year that we could play. So are there any caddies on tour that are just terrible at golf or don't like golf like, as far as playing? Right. Well, you know, things, again, have changed. Uh, call it the Tiger effect. Since Tiger came on board and the amount of money that we play for now is so extreme that since I've been out, this is my 17th season, since I've been out here, the uh, talent of caddy, the professionalism of caddy, the golfing ability of caddy has changed dramatically. Um, so there's really no one out there anymore that's not good at golf. I would think every caddy out there is a single-digit handicap at worst. I would say 75% of the caddies have tried to play professional or played professionally. And, like, it's amazing. We went and did, like, a little caddy deal out at Palm Springs in a part three tournament. And the, the amount of uh, talent that was out there, just it blew me away. Um, so as far as playing the game, now you, you said another word in there which is a little bit different. And you said, how about guys that love the game? Now, there's a higher percentage that don't love the game. There's a higher percentage that when they're done, I've only brought my club down the road one week in just over 16 seasons now. I'm in my 17th season. So I've only played one full round of golf. Uh, when I'm on the road, that is the last thing that I want to do, to be honest with you, is to go play golf. But we've got probably 30 guys that play at least two rounds a week. I remember Fluff back at the British Open a few years ago. He played five rounds during the week while working. Wow. If you've, looked at, if you've looked at Fluff and you've seen him walk, that is one of the biggest, um, I, I think he deserves an SB just for courage award, for somehow being able to get out there and do that. I, I don't understand. I love what I do, but I, I don't really love it enough to, to bring the clubs out and go work hard. Sure, that, that that makes sense. So, all right. So, what what's you know we've talked about a lot of stuff, and and uh, we're gonna have to wrap it up here in a little bit. But what's the uh, what are some things that that a lot of PGA Tour fans don't know about life on tour as a caddy? Wow, good question. Uh, I feel, let's start with financially. We are responsible for everything. I don't think a lot of people know that. Uh, financially, we're responsible for hotels, flights, rental cars, food, everything else. None of that is provided, and just to say, so it's the case as well for most of the players. So it can be quite expensive. We obviously get paid really well, so that makes up uh, for a lot of it. But uh, it can be quite expensive. I think the second thing is they don't realize how much work goes into it. I think a lot of people still feel like the caddies just pick up the bag and go. But the amount of extra coursework that we do, even days when we have an afternoon tea time, we'll generally be out there and walk at least nine holes beforehand, fill out our pen sheets. Uh, get to work doing those things. Um, I think maybe another thing would be how hard it can be on the family. When you're single, being a caddy, to be honest with you, is about as good as it gets. You're traveling, you're going, you would bring your clubs, uh, you're making good money, you're enjoying what you're doing. But I've got a baby boy two years old, uh, a beautiful little girl ten years old, and you know my wife at home, and, and uh, wine writer as well, which he's a lot of work. But you know when I'm on the road, it's hard on them. 
it, it makes up for the weeks that you are home and you're off 24 hours a day. But I just think it's the traveling that can really wear out after a while. Right. That that makes sense. I can I can totally believe that, man. Um, I know you guys. I know you guys work hard for sure. So, what's the what's the uh, what's the craziest thing you've ever seen go down in a golf tournament? And I'm not talking about like a shot or anything like that. Like something with a fan or a golfer. So you've been out there a long time. What's the craziest thing you've ever seen? Yeah, I'd have to say New Orleans about five years ago. Uh, Rory Sabatini, which uh, I actually get along with quite well, but. He can be a lot sometimes on the golf course, especially for other players. Um, him, him and uh, Sean O'Hare got into it, and we actually had to separate them on the golf course back in, uh, it was in New Orleans. This was, I think, about four years ago. It uh, was one of those things, Sean's a pretty quiet guy, but he's also a guy, he was a black belt when he was about 12 years old, so he's also a guy I really wouldn't want to mess with. And I think Rory was um, overstepping his boundaries, which, again, he sometimes does. <laughs> Yeah. Um, he's rubbed some people the wrong way, but, uh, but yeah, he had to step in. So we had to separate those guys. Of course, the fans loved it. They all took wet, or they all took Sean's side. So that was a pretty, uh, pretty eventful one. And one of my favorite stories, and if you guys haven't heard any caddy leaving the golf course stories, there's some good ones out there. But my favorite one was one of my good friends way back in the day. His name was Randy. I'm going to save his last name for now. He unfortunately isn't with us anymore, but uh, was working for Brendan Pappas. And... He decided on the 14th hole that he had had enough in Canada, that he couldn't do it anymore. And they were yelling at each other, and he told them, you know, where to go, to fly kite. <laughs> he, he dropped the bag, he took off the bit, he threw it down, and he's walking off all the line. And he gets about 200 yards away and realizes he forgot his keys and wallet in the bag. <laughs> so, <laughs> so he had to go back and get that stuff, which made for a great story and a very embarrassing comeback to Brendan on the way back. So, yeah, that's awesome. All right, two more quick questions, and then I want you to tell us about your foundation. Um, do you guys feel an impact on tour right now from fantasy golf? Well, you know, specifically, even daily fantasy has really taken off. I don't know how much you pay attention to it, but you know, DraftKings is under a lot of scrutiny right now. And uh, but one of their fastest growing sports on DraftKings is daily fantasy golf. Um, you know, it's growing faster than the NBA, than Major League Baseball. Um, it's a big deal, and a lot of our listeners, and including ourselves, are watching golf tournaments that we would have never watched before, like the Valspar or you know some some tournament that a lot of us really didn't pay attention to. We are. Have you guys felt any of that? Um, you know, we know the PGA's vocalized disinterest in in the daily fantasy thing, uh, but do you think that it that it's going to help or hurt the game? Um, and and do you notice any impact yet? Yeah, I definitely think it'll help the game. Anything that gets the fans more involved, anything that gets the fans knowing more than just your top five guys on tour, um, I think is better for our game. Obviously, TV viewership and fans that come to the golf course are where we make our money. So I think anything that provides an outlet for a more like more depth, I think it's a great thing, which obviously you guys do. Um, another thing is, I think it's gotten some of the players, especially the younger generation players, more involved as well. I, I read last week that Will Wilcox sent out a tweet before the week started to not use him in the Fantasy Golf League this week because his game wasn't there. And he shot, I think, seven under the last day and moved all the way up to six, so then he had to apologize to everybody for yeah. not to start him. I mean, I don't know if you'd see that really in any other league, which is fun. Um, yeah. That's, that's a good thing as well. 
you know, as far as the tours approach, I think it's fine. They're, they're usually going to try to keep things as old-fashioned as possible, and that's fine. But the players, the new generation and everything, I think they'll embrace it. I think it's great for our game. I think it's great for our growth in the sport. And, uh, you know, every now and then we get a little bit annoyed when we've missed a four-footer and you're going to the next hole and somebody yells out, oh, well, come on, I got you on my fantasy team. Yeah. That gets a little bit annoying at times, but... You know, it kind of comes with the territory. So we, we try to laugh it off as much as possible and uh, and, and go forth from there. I myself hasn't, haven't done it, but I'll definitely get a few texts a year from some of my boys, especially around the majors when you get a lot of the different pools going and everything, that uh, they'll ask for some advice. And I'll usually try to be as open-minded as possible. Yeah, that's funny. Will did get some. Will Will Wilcox is a darling of of daily fantasy sports because of his you know his transparency. However, you know, so he caught a lot of heat from last week, but the week before, he was a savior because he tweeted out on like Wednesday that he didn't have it. He basically said, "I'm not, I'm not feeling it, guys. Don't don't pull the trigger." And then he proceeded to miss the cut. So everybody loved him. Um, so anyway, just a great guy. You know, we, we, we appreciate his transparency for sure. All right, Paul, man, we really appreciate your time. And, and uh, you know, you've got a great thing going with the Tesori Foundation. And, um, you know, you're just such a – you seem like such a genuine guy and a philanthropic guy. And I know you and Webb are, are just great great guys and, and, and good role models on, on tour as well. So tell us about the Tesori Foundation and how we can, how we can you know, look into that and take part. Absolutely. You know, the foundation for me is my most significant thing after being a husband and a dad. Um, my faith has always driven me in everything I've done. It's, it's a very huge common denominator between Webb and I. And the foundation, you know, we started several years ago, me and my wife, Michelle, and um, it's the, the TesoriFamilyFoundation.org. Um, anybody can look it up and see some of the fun things that we're doing and some of the ways that we're giving back. Uh, our mission statement, you can see online, that gets to achieve great things for God by lending a helping hand and providing hope and healing hearts for children. But we've branched it out a lot, too. We've got a, um, a senior center here locally that we sponsor. Tonight's a big deal. We co-sponsor with Tim Tebow Foundation to do a thing called Night of Lights where we put on prom for adults with special needs that uh, a lot of them have never had a chance to go. We do red carpet. We do limo rides. We do, you know, tiaras and um, all that good stuff that we put on for a night. It's one of the most amazing things I've ever been a part of. It, 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 it does a lot more for us than it even does for these young men and women that are coming uh, to experience it. And um, right now, also online for, I know a lot of your uh, listeners as well, but I'm doing something called Walk a Mile in My Shoes. And basically, um, you get on SoryFamilyFoundation.org and you look up, and I'm walking the entire year with an odometer. I've got an up bracelet and keeping track of the steps. I think we're at 135 miles after three weeks, which has blown me away. But wow. you can make a donation to mine, either like 10 cents a mile or something like that. It'll probably end up being about $75 at the end of the year. Or you can make a donation, nothing's too small. So it's kind of fun to go in there and look and look at all the different things that we're trying to do. Uh, we're at, we're doing five different clinics this year. Uh, we call the All-Star Clinics, where I'll put on a clinic um, while we're on tour four again kids with special needs and we usually get a tour player out each week that'll kind of help out and the fun thing too is if you register i believe by april 1st my wife's the genius when it comes to this stuff but <laughs> we're giving away a five thousand dollar golf experience here at tpc sawgrass where i'll get them you know clubhouse tickets uh we'll show them around the place it comes with a round of golf with me afterwards and there's a lot of stuff involved airplane tickets on the way down all that kind of i think a rental car as well so you can see it all on the on the website, and I think it'll be a lot of fun for guys to check out. And 
can obviously try to send me some notes, and I'll try to help out some of the fans and listeners as well. Awesome, man. Paul, we really appreciate your time, and uh, thanks for thanks for uh, – you know what you represent out there on tour, and and you and Webb both. We really, uh, you guys are just stand up guys, and and good for the game. And uh, we will definitely uh, tout your foundation, and we'll we'll get the word out as best we can, man. David, uh, you're great. I really appreciate you guys having me on. And my last little tidbit for all the listeners: you have to take Webb on the fantasy when it comes to Quail Hollow. Yo. Every year he plays great. It's his home course. So picking for Quail. And picking for Greensboro. You can't miss them those two weeks. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thanks, man. All right, golf addicts. That was the interview with Paul Tesori, Webb Simpson's caddy. Paul, such a great guy, and we really appreciate the content that he gave us. A lot of nuggets there, man. A lot of good stuff from Paul Tesori, and we that was just that was just amazing. What what do you think of it, Pat? I know you didn't get a chance to talk to him, but. Well, and I was really disappointed that I wasn't able to, but I tell you what, I, I listened to that thing, you know, over and over again after uh, you recorded it and sent it to me, and he really just had some great insight, not only just, um, you know, on life on tour, but um, I think it gave some good insight for DFS players on kind of some, you know, some things to be looking at going into the tournament week to week, and just a great all-around guy, great content there, so uh, great job. I think I think that was uh, really good. Yeah, I mean, of, of the things that he mentioned that I think are pertinent to what we do, you know, one of the, a few of the takeaways, I mean, he talked about the importance of strokes gain, tee to green being a statistic that they take a, you know, that they take a look at every year. Um, you know, he talked about the, the course history being important. You know, he mentioned... Mm-hmm. Webb playing well on certain courses. He mentioned Tiger won uh, like six different times, six times on four different courses. So he talked about the weight of course history, which I thought was also interesting. Um, so you know, just some some good stuff. He also talked about the fatigue factor that we talked about as as the Moosonomics has coined strokes bled grinding. He definitely talked about the three week and four week mark for Webb and. You know, it being a mental grind more than anything, and that that kind of factors into a lot of the players, you know, struggling. Um, so just some good stuff and, and some funny stuff as well. You know, the Rory Sabatini, Sean O'Hare altercation, uh, which was funny. The caddy forgetting his keys and wallet when he dropped the bag on number 14 to, to leave his player. That was pretty funny <laughs> having to go back. Yeah, that was pretty hilarious. I think. Yeah. Uh, hey, going back though, real quick though, you know, to the, talking about the fatigue factor. Um, I mean, is it any question anymore that this, you know, this fatigue factor is even, you know, a, a theory? I mean, I think it's it's becoming fact at this point. I mean, everybody we've talked to, whether it be Kiz or Paul here or Brooks Kepka, has pretty much validated that. You know, and I think there's been a little bit of argument out there as to, as to you know what kind of effect the fatigue factor has but to me I think we've pretty much cleared it up I agree I mean you know I think the key thing to remember is that it's per player so we're not we're not saying that you know three weeks is the end-all be-all it is it does no no you know Brooks Kepka said that it was um you know Kisner said that he could do a little bit longer run as long as he had a couple days home with the family in between which can definitely happen, you know, for your better players that can afford the the private jet hop, skip, and a jump home. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I, I think it's a thing for sure. It's just learning which, you know, what the number is for each player. Mm-hmm. 
So, um, and, and also, man, you know, going, going back to Paul, like the Tesori Family Foundation, such a great foundation. Um, I know Paul's wife, Michelle, runs that foundation. I know she does a great job. She works hard, and they just do some great things with that foundation, a lot of it with, uh, you know, adults and children with disabilities, and, um, you know, they partner with the Tebow Foundation to do some, uh, some stuff with Down syndrome, and it's just a great, great thing. So if you guys... You know, if you guys feel like supporting something, like that would be a good one to support. So you can go to Tesori Family Foundation uh, and, and check that out. But that was some good stuff and just a great guy and really enjoyed it. Totally agree. I, I think it was awesome. And, and like you said, I mean, if you're going to support something, that, that foundation is uh, doing incredible work. And I, I highly uh, encourage all of those out there that are listening to us or following us on Twitter or whatever to, to go and, and check it out and, and – uh, Donate whatever you can, you know, like, like everybody says, you know, every little bit helps. Absolutely. All right, so getting into this week, Pat, we have got the WGC Cadillac Championship at Trump National Doral at the Blue Monster. So tell us a little bit about the golf course and the weather, as you typically like to do because you're old. <laughs> I'm gonna be short on the weather, so uh, you know, you know, it is my birthday tomorrow, so I'm one year older. Is it um, really? Yeah, it is. It is. Um, I'm not the I'm big not, three nine tomorrow, huh? That's right. I, I I didn't think you knew that, but yeah, so I'm one year closer to forty. But so I'm Man, gonna. I can't I, wait for your fortieth. I almost want to skip. I just want to skip the weather, but I am going to talk a little bit about it. But yeah, so Trump <laughs> National. That name Trump has kind of been in the in the news a little bit lately, but. Um, America, America. We're That's right. Again. Yeah, make America great. Anyway, um, so this is the the Blue Monster course, uh, redesigned a couple years ago. So I think if you're going to look at course history, which you know I love to look at, uh, I don't think you can go much past 2014 because it's kind of a totally different course. Uh, long course, 7,500 yards, par 72. Uh, I think it's going to play tough this week. It's usually, uh, at least over the last couple years, played as, as one of the tougher courses on tour. Um, you know, there's no cut this week, and so I think that's going to be an interesting factor. Again, I'm I'm never a big fan of that, but um, it is what it is. And if you're going to look at the last two years, starting going back to 2014, where Patrick Reed won, and then last year when Dustin Johnson won, this is a bomber's course for sure. I mean, if you look look at the top 20 or top 10, I mean, that's what you're going to see up there. Uh, Bubba's been up there in the top five the last couple years, even though he doesn't even really like this course from what I hear, but uh, he's played well on it. Um, So, again, I think you're going to be looking at your Bombers this week. Uh, It's a great field. All the top guys are in there, Rory, Spee, Scott, coming off a win last week. Um, So I think it's going to be a a fun tournament to watch. There's going to be an interesting strategy, I think, that that you're going to need to use this week because of the – you know, all four days with no cut, and we'll, we'll probably talk about that a little bit uh, here in a minute. Uh, weather-wise, I think it's going to be beautiful. I do think you could see the winds pick up a little bit on Thursday afternoon and uh, over the weekend. But uh, other than that, it should be uh, should be a good week. Yeah, par seventy-two, a little over seventy-five hundred yards. It's kind of a longer course. It's Bermuda greens, so. Keeping with the Florida trend, you've got your Bermuda greens uh, coming into play here. 
DJ won it last year over JB Holmes, um, and then Patrick Reed won it over Bubba in 14, which the redesign occurred just before that event. So 14 and 15 being the the major you know years I'm kind of looking at as far as course history goes. Uh, back to the stat category, similar to last week, I'm picking out six. So I'm looking at total driving. And actually, there's been a lot of chatter I've noticed today. And, uh, you know, we recorded this on Monday. So Monday and Sunday, a lot of chatter on driving distance being a key. You know, and, and I've thought about going there, but I think I'm going to look at total driving, which takes into account distance and accuracy. Uh, and, you know, Doral has been called a ball strikers golf course. So I'm going to look at the ball striking stat, which takes into account, you know, total driving as well as greens and regulation. Uh, scrambling, uh, birdie or better percentage, just because that's a great stat to look at when you don't have a cut. You want those scores. Mm-hmm. Strokes gained tee to green, as always, and greens and regulation. So six different categories is what I'm, I'm kind of looking at. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, uh, so what's your approach this week? So you talked about how it's a little different. For you, with no cut, you know, 68 players, I believe. Um, is it 68? No, 67 players. 48 of the top 50 in the world. You know, this is a this is a difficult golf course um, after the redesign, especially with the length. So, what is your strategy going to be as far as DraftKings goes uh, with no cut? Well, I think for me, just from a basic standpoint, um, I'm going to have um, I'm going to throw out a little bit lesser of my bankroll this week um, because for me, it's just it's harder to uh, differentiate your lineups when you got you know four rounds that you're going to be able to count for every player um not counting any withdrawal that may happen but we can't you know we can't call that um i'm also going to be playing and you know i like the gpps in general that's that tends to be what I, I like to play a lot um but i'm going to be all gpps this week i'm not going to have many cash lineups um again for the reasons i just stated as far as the differential factor but um I think, uh, again, you know, there's a lot of good players in this field, and there's a lot of good players in the, in the lower price range. So I'm going to be looking at those guys and not necessarily top-heavy with the Rory's and the Adam Scott's and those type guys. I, I think I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go a little bit less. You know, I, I hear you. I think I will – I do agree with the concept of, of – limiting the amount that you spend this week i do think in these no cut events and and with the quality of golfers that are in the field you know and 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 just about i mean if there's 67 golfers in the field you know i would argue maybe you know 55 50 to 55 of them could easily win this event so there's a lot of variability i do agree with like limiting your bankroll but I, I think I'll still have the same proportion of cash to GPP as far as how I'm spending my dollars this week. I think a lot of people tend to jump out of those cash games on a week like this, and I feel like that leaves some, uh, you know, some some fresh meat in the cash game, you know, double ups, if you will. So I think I'll be on the, you know, just as much in the cash game as I normally am, and definitely going to be in the GPPs for sure. So. I am going to look at a more balanced approach to this week, so I agree with you there. I mean, I won't be touching Rory or Jordan. Um, you know, Scott coming off the win last week, I think will be pretty popular. Um, Bubba has a pretty good history here the last two years. He is a little tough to ignore. And then you got DJ, 
Jason Day, Ricky Fowler, Henrik Stenson, and Justin Rose kind of round out the top group in the five-digit range. So, uh, you know, of those guys, who are you taking? You know, I really like all of those guys we could say that, that we like. I mean, they're, they've all got, you know, different qualities that, that we could sit here and defend for 30 minutes on a podcast. But I, I kind of think I, I really like Stinson this week, and I, and I like that price at, at 10-3. Um, he hasn't played a whole lot this year. Well, he hasn't played over here at all, but – um, when you look at what he did, you know, he was in uh, Dubai earlier and played in both those events. I think he was T3 and, and uh, one of them and T6 and the other. They're, they're kind of running up against each other on which one which one it was. But um, So I really like Stinson. I think uh, of that of that crew above 10,000, he, he's one that I'm, I'm really going to target this week, and I like him in GPPs. Wow, I didn't expect you to say that. Um, there you go. I'm, you know who I'm not? I'm not at all on, and, and this is recency bias. I'm going to go ahead and throw that disclaimer out there as Fowler. He really t- he ticked me off so bad last week. Let me tell you, he played so good on Thursday and Friday, and if you followed how he played on Saturday and Sunday, it was absolutely horrific. He would hit the middle of the fairway, and then his, his next shot would be 50 feet from the hole or 70 feet from the hole, or in the bunker. I mean, the guy is, is just, something's wrong with him on his irons. Um, so I'm going to fade Fowler this week at, at 10-7. He is not going to be in my lineups. That's recency bias, I'm telling you right now, so you can take that for what it's worth. But I just don't feel like he's hitting the ball. He, something happened between how great he was playing on Thursday and Friday and Saturday and Sunday. So not going to be taking Fowler this week. Wow. All right. So I, I am going to get on Fowler for the GPP. I'm probably not going to take him in cash. Like I said, in cash, I think I'm going to be a little more balanced. So I'm going to start my lineups lower. But in a GPP, for the same reason you just said, I mean, he came out so hot at the Honda first two rounds with no bogeys on a difficult golf course and then came out on the weekend and, and, and did not play very well. So I do like him in a GPP for that reason. Um, so I'll be on him for that. But I'm not going to take him in a cash game. I do. I also like in the in the five digit range. I like Justin Rose. Um, you know, he ch- he checks the box in three categories of the six. Actually, by the way, Fowler for the second week in a row, the only guy that checks all boxes, all six. You know, the weekend didn't help his numbers by any means, but he still is just playing great golf right now. And I, and I I could see him having a little bounce back week here and getting up for this event. So I don't mind Fowler, but but Rose is another one that I like. So I think those two, you know, is to start a lineup in a GPP would be fun, and I think that's probably what I'm going to do. I'm with you on Rose this week, actually. I, I, he, he is one of my favorites up there, so I'm not going to argue with you there. But, but Fowler, to me, is just um, something was off over the weekend. I think that'll continue this week. Um, I'm not saying I love him for this year. I think he's going to have a great year, but um, just not a big fan of Fowler this late this week. And I, I like so, sort of the folks that are around him better. Um, all right. So, is there anybody in that five? You know, from from Rose on up to McElroy, is there anybody you would avoid, like 100% avoid? Well, I mean, I already mentioned Fowler. Um, I think I'm still concerned about Day. Um, you know, again, any of these guys, it's just hard to 
to totally throw yourself out there and say you're going to fade. I mean, DJ won the tournament last year. Bubba's played this course great over the last two years, and he just he's coming off a win. Adam Scott's coming off a win. And Spieth and Rory are the number one and two or whatever ranked golfers in the world. So, I mean, how, how are you going to sit there and, you know, call a fade is, to me, is pretty difficult. But out of those, I'd, I'd probably say I'm, I'm still going to fade Day until I can kind of see that he's maybe totally healthy and shows me a little bit more than he's kind of showed me in the last couple tournaments he's played. All right, well, dropping down to the $9,000 range, you got Sergio down to Patrick Reed. Um, can you guess who my favorite is out of this category? Uh, I'm probably going to say Brooks Kepka at 9,200. Incorrect. I'll give you one wow. more shot. All right, okay. okay well, uh, how about JB Holmes? Yeah, boy, my boy JB. I love you're some going JB off course Holmes. history, aren't you? You you loving that course history that I, I've taught you about? You know, JB uh, runner up last year to DJ. He was the 36 hole leader and the 54 hole leader uh, last year. He checks the box in total driving, which is crazy because he's a bomber. He checks the box in strokes gained tee to green and scrambling. He's scrambling pretty well right now, too. You know, J, uh, DJ won this event, you know, single digits under par last year, so it's not a big scoring event. I like I like JB scrambling, saving pars here and there, doing his thing, and keeping up at the top of the leaderboard and getting those bonus points. So JB is actually where I'm going to start a lot of cash lineups. Uh, he will be a cash staple 100%. He is easily my favorite in this category. Yeah, I'm with you on JB too. Actually, I, I think he is. Uh, just, that's just a great price for him right there. Um, yeah, I kind of like Ustazen just above him though at 9600. Um, yeah, he just won last week. He did. He's coming off a win. Um, he's you know got a, a decent course history here over the last couple of years. I need to find it real quick because I just lost it. But I think he was in the top. 10 was it two years ago so i think uh you know he i don't know i kind of like usi this week what do you what do you think about him yeah i don't mind him i think he'll be i think he'll be fairly popular coming off the win um but i I don't mind him he's he's not one of my favorites i mean jb is going to be my favorite and then actually i'm gonna i'm gonna six six by the way last year just to clarify that he was six i'm gonna get on sergio He's striking the ball well. You know, he's, he, he checks three of the six boxes for me. I, I'm not minding Sergio a little bit. And I'm going to have some Brooks Kepka. But here's the thing. Again, this is another week where Brooks just doesn't check a lot of boxes in 2016. He's not playing as good as he was playing in 15. Um, but, you know, I, I'm thinking back to our interview with him, and he mentioned how he loves hard golf courses, that he loves WGC events, he loves the majors, for the you know for those hard golf courses you know and even last week at the honda he popped up a little bit early on in the week and then faded uh at the end so i have a little bit of him but I, you know i mean he, he was t26 at the honda um I, I don't i don't know I, I don't know what to think about brooks he's he's not quite the brooks of 2015 no and he just kind of seems to get it going in a round, and then and then I'll have a you know a couple of blow up holes in a row, and yeah, yeah. And so I, I just think I don't know, um, but maybe in this format though, when you're you get him for all four days, I mean he's going to make some birdies. Um, he's obviously got the length factor that that we're looking at. So 
I definitely can see putting him in some lineups. Um, yeah. So I'm, I'm with you there. Um, well, yeah. hopping down in the 8,000s, you got Justin Thomas to Kisner, who we were all over last week and had on the show and just didn't have a great week. I mean, made the cut, but but not a not a great week for Kiz. Um, no, you got a little, kinda... little Byung Hung Ann in there as well. That's kind of it's kind of different. Yeah, I think I'm 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 not going to be big on him. But hey, if you want to <laughs> if you want to differentiate yourself this week, you know, throw in throw him in. You know, I mean, I guess. Now, this what about is... Brandon Grace, who everybody was kind of you know talking about last week and and missed the cut. I'm still off him this week. Really? I tell you, I, I do think I'm I'm going to be looking at him going into the Masters, actually. But I just don't, I don't know. I, I'm not liking him on this Florida swing, but I think, uh, I do think he's going to contend for some majors this year. Um, I still like Schwartzel at 8,500. I think, um... He's again. I think he's he, he's playing well, and, and I think that's a good price for him. Um, but other than that, I'm not a huge. I mean, a lot of this category in this eight thousand range, I really don't. I don't like a lot of these players. Yeah, I'm not a big fan either. I mean, I, I do. I do think Justin Thomas finishing well last week at the Honda. I like him for this cor- for this golf course. He checks three of the six boxes for me. I'll I'll tell you one guy that I would look out for as far as to avoid. I'm going to avoid Matt Kuchar. Um, Matt Kuchar, if you look at course history, actually had a a really nice course history going um, in 2010 and 2011 and 2012, but has kind of dropped off since the redesign. Not anything you know terrible, but it's not been the best course history since then. So I would, you know, he's a popular name in that 8400, but I don't think I'm going to have any of him. I think I'll have a little bit of Justin Thomas, and in a GPP, I will definitely go. In a GPP, I'll likely start my lineups with uh, Ricky Fowler and Kevin Kisner, two guys that, again, last week just, you know, Kisner just kind of burned some folks, and Ricky disappointed a lot of people on the weekend. So I don't mind starting the lineup with both of those guys. But that's about all I'm going to touch in the 8,000 range. Yeah, and one thing about Kiz though is he is up there as far as you know birdies made this year. So I mean, he's going to make some birdies for you. So he is, yeah. Uh, he actually checks four of the six boxes. So uh, yeah, he's he's a guy. He's actually one of one of only two guys that I really targeted that checked that many boxes behind Fowler, who checks all six. But you know, Kisner hits the total driving, the um, uh, the ball striking category. The greens and regulation category, and like you mentioned, the birdie or better category. So, yeah, I like Kisner to bounce back this week. I, I, I I'm with you there. Um, dropping down though into the seven thousand range, I think there's a lot of interesting guys in here. Serious so, value in this range for sure. Yeah. So, you know, one guy right at the top there's Bill Haas. He's got a good course history here, but. Um, yeah, I don't know. He's not one of my favorites, but I do like his course history. Another guy that I really like is Danny Willett. Yeah, uh, I like him c- too. Coming off a win over in Dubai, um, I think he is just—I I don't know—I I think he is just a very strong, world-class player. I, I like him a lot this year. I think seventy-eight hundred is a great price for him. So uh, Willett is a guy that I'm going to put into a lot of lineups this week. 
I agree. He's, you know, as I've done some first impressions here and I've kind of made some, some like gut instinct cash lineups, he has, he and JB Holmes have been my staples. So I'm liking Willett. Um, he's 15th in the world, you know, golf ranking. He's uh, on the European tour. He, he excels in putting, sand save percentage, scrambling, and greens and regulation. So I definitely think uh, you know Danny Willett's game can translate here. He's not he's not a bomber, so he's not gonna he's not gonna win it like that. But other than that, I I, I really like Willett as well at seventy eight hundred. I think it's a good price, and I like Bill Haas a lot. I mean he's got you know he's he's played this course very well since the redesign. Seventh last year, sixth the year before that. He's playing well this year. He's a total driving guy. I think Bill Haas is a is a nice pick. Um, you know, it's seventy nine hundred. Yeah, I, I'm I'm totally with you there. And and Willette, by the way, I mean, is he not the most underrated top twenty in the world golfer? I mean, you never yeah. hear about that guy. Yeah, he but, is. I mean, that's true. Um, I mean, he's right there with Billy Horschel. God, that's terrible. Freaking Horschel, man. Um, you know, speaking after, of Horschel, you know, he was, he was, you know, part of a bet that we had, I think, you know, a few weeks ago and, uh, I think I lost that one, but you know, you, you know, I've won two in a row and, and, uh, you know, right. That's why I had to do the intro in a Hispanic accent. Yeah. I was just pointing that out. I didn't know if yeah, you'd th- forgotten. Yeah. Thanks. Um, <laughs> below, below Horschel. I like I like a little Harris English in the you know in the seventy the seventy six hundred dollar mark. Um, he's twenty ninth in strokes gained total right now. He doesn't really he's not really great at a lot of stats, but he's just not he's not terrible at a lot. So I don't mind English. Um, anybody else in that category? There's some there's some good names there. I mean, Paul Casey's another one that checks a few boxes for me. I'm, I might have some sprinkle of Paul Casey. Anybody yeah, I kinda, you, like? you know, I kind of like Shane Lowry this week. Um, oh, the cussing Shane Lowry. By the way, yeah, was that not great? That I mean, he, I thought that was just absolutely hilarious. But um, I do kind of like him this week. I think he's been um, fairly decent as how he's played lately. And, and I think, uh, you know, this could be a good course for him. So, yeah, I'm a, I'm a fan of, of Lowry this week, and I like that price for him. You know, one of my favorites in this category is Duffner. Duffner checks four of the six for me. Total driving, ball striking, strokes gain tee to green, and birdie or better percentage. I really like Duff. He had a good couple days last week at the Honda, but then didn't really do that much on the weekend. So I'm, I'm digging some Duffner, too. He's, I think he might be a cash staple for me, and I like him at 7200 I think it's a good price. He's been playing well, too. Yeah, I'm I'm okay with with the dust. He finished sure. ninth here in 2014 too, the first year of the redesign. So I'm liking Duffner. All right, after uh, you know dipping down in the uh, the lower sevens in the in the bargain bin range, anybody down there? Let's let's think of some scrubs that we like. Well, I'm always going to love Danny Lee when you're going to give him to me at seven thousand. Um, Again, the guy has just been very solid over the last year, so I really like that price for him. Um, below that, there's not a whole, there's not a ton of guys that I really like. 
Um, if you go into the 6,000, I like Berger at 6,600, and I like uh, the other guy I like is Bowditch at 6,000. It's Ooh. almost the cheapest guy, but he, he can make some birdies, and that's one of the reasons I might throw him in. He can in also a, make a lot of doubles. I know, but I just think, you know, he might be just worth a flyer in a GPP. So he's, he's one of those guys. But I think, uh, you know, Berger is eventually going to get hot, and, and I kind of want to have him in the lineup when he does. And so I like him at 6,600. Um, that I'm going to be honest, that's about it for me. I, I'm, almost, I'm almost done with, with, you know, after those two picks. Well, I, I do like a little Kevin Knott, 7,100. He's, uh, he's a strokes gain TD Green guy. He's a scrambler, and he's a birdie or better guy. He's had a couple weeks off here. I think he's well-rested. I think it's 7,100. We've seen Kevin Knott compete in, in, a, in a big field like this with a lot of big names, so I think he can hang. So I don't mind him there. Um, I think I'll have a little sprinkle of Grillo again. Um, he's kind of a total driving, ball-striking um, kind of guy, so I, I like Grillo. Who, by the way, we were we were right again last week about Grillo. Um, and then the last guy I'm going to give you is random, very random, incredible GPP play. Do not do this in a cash game. But Christopher with two F's, Broberg. That's right, Christopher Broberg with two F's. At $6,300 from Sweden, okay? He's 68th in the world golf ranking. Last week, tied for 15th at the Maybank, uh, which I think is the one Louis, Louis Ustase and just won. On the European tour, he is, um, you know, he's, he's known for his putter, sand saves, scrambling, um, and when I looked at Vegas odds, okay, so that's, you know, that's one of the things that we've, we've paid attention to. When I looked at Vegas odds, he had the same odds as Bernd Wiesberger. So you got a guy who, for some reason, you know, Ve- Vegas has him with the same odds to win as a guy that DraftKings would have $400 more expensive. So this guy would be, you know, same odds as, uh, or actually a little better odds as Daniel Berger, Charlie Hoffman, uh, and equal odds to Burned. So I feel like that's a little value there that I'm going to try to take advantage of in a GPP. I think he'll be low-owned, obviously, because no one knows who the hell he is. But Christopher Broberg is my yeah. last player. I can't Did I talk you into a little bit of him? I talked you into a little bit of him, didn't I? No, you didn't, actually, because... Because you, I can't, you know, I can't argue with some what you're talking about with him, and and uh, you know, you certainly make some valid points. But this is a reason that I think a lot of people are going to get too cute this week with with what they're putting in their lineups. Um, I don't think that he's really that great of a play this week. I will not play him. I can see why people will do that. Um, but again, I just I, I'm going to stick to you know I'm probably going to be a little more chalk this week, and I just I'm not a big fan of that play. And you may see him up there on the leaderboard maybe the first day, but I don't see him being there close to the end uh, in the top ten or even the top twenty. Um, and, and I just think I, I, again I, I'm seeing his name pop up on a lot of the stuff that I'm reading, and I'm I'm just not buying really? it. really not buying it. Yep, I've seen his name. I've not seen his name at all. 
Uh, well, I have, and uh, I think that um, it's getting a little cute, if you ask Who me. Who is talking about my guy Broberg? Well, you know, you you know, we're we're tour junkies, so you know who who all we follow on our our Twitter account. So what, you can go what back. What is and going look. on? That that just me just off. go back and look. His name's popping up everywhere. What? That really disappoints me. All right. I'm not well. saying even even if it is popping up, it could be a good play. I'm just not. It's I'm not buying it yet. So okay. Yeah. Well, that's all I got. I mean, you got anybody else you're you're digging? No, that's it. That's it for me. All right, well, you know, we got a got a great interview from Paul Tesori, and, uh, you know, we wanted to move quickly through the 67 players in the WGC. Um, you know, hopefully you guys found that useful. Hey, I did want to give a quick shout-out to at uh, FG Metrics, which are the fantasy golf metrics guys. They gave us a really nice sheet on Webb Simpson this week that, uh, you know, fitting with Paul Tesori being on the interview. It's just every stat about Webb Simpson you could possibly imagine. And, and we want to we reference that, that sheet come next week when Webb plays in the Valspar. Uh, mm-hmm. Paul did let us, you know, let, let us know that he'll be playing next week. He had to withdraw last week with some back issues, but he's, he's, he's close to 100%, and he's ready to play in the Valspar next week. So we'll reference that sheet, but big shout-out to those guys. If you're not already following at FG Metrics on Twitter, you should be. You know, those guys do an incredible job, and, and most of what they put out um, is, is pretty, pretty hard for me to understand, but I'm, I'm of lower-than-average IQ. But <laughs> it's, it's incredible stuff no matter what. It's, fan, it's fantastic. Highly really recommend is. it. And, uh, you know, shout out to a few new followers this week. Jay Bates underscore golf, um, at Stu underscore night, and at Foley24. A few new followers of ours that have been engaging, and we appreciate you guys uh, giving us a follow and checking out the Tour Junkies on Twitter. Be sure to, uh, to leave a review on iTunes if you don't mind. Let us know how we're doing. And, uh, you know, hopefully you enjoyed the Paul Tesori interview. That was way better than the shit me and Pat just gave you. So uh, <laughs> hopefully, hopefully uh, you know, green screen's coming this week. And uh, everybody enjoy the WGC Cadillac Championship. That's all I got, man. That's all I got, too, man. Looking forward to the week. All right. See ya. Oh. What will you discover in Asheville, North Carolina? Your inner explorer as you hike mountain trails. Your creative streak as you stroll the River Arts District. In Asheville, the answers can surprise you. Don't miss Summer of Glass, now through September, featuring Chihuly at Biltmore and a community-wide celebration of glass with local exhibitions and tours. Visit exploreashville.com to plan your stay. Asheville, discovery inside and out. The Starlight Lounge presents An Evening with the Progressive Box. Oh, what a great audience. Let's dim the lights for this next one. Nope, too much. Ah, there it is. Gotta get things just right. Like Progressive's Name Your Price tool. Tell us what you want to pay and we help you find coverage options that fit your budget. And now, the mood is right. Wait, the lights are back on again. Trudy, can you? And now it's completely dark. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.